What's up, people? Jay here on behalf of PWF Empire to review SmackDown Live's last big stop on the road to WrestleMania, the Elimination Chamber. The opening contest at Elimination Chamber was Mickey James versus Becky Lynch. Now, even though Mickey dominated nearly the entirety of this match, it was Becky Lynch who ended up getting the win and the end. Now, let me go ahead and start off by saying this. I really enjoyed this match, but I can't make that statement without also acknowledging the ultimate talent that Mickey James is because the story of this match is the story of Mickey James. She got in there and she wrestled circles around Becky Lynch. And that's not to say that Becky is some chump because, hell, I freaking love Becky Lynch. She's talented in her own right. But the story of this match was the return of Mickey James. This was her first high-profile match since coming back to WWE. So they needed to go out of their way to reestablish exactly who Mickey James is. We hear all of this stuff about this women's revolution in WWE. And Mickey was like, um, hey... Remember me? Like I was a badass in my own right in my day. And she came back here and she was like, you know what? It may not technically be my day, but she pulled a little Mark Henry. Remember when he did that retirement speech and he whooped John Cena's ass and he was like, I got a lot left in the tank. That was basically Mickey James telling us that she had a lot left in the tank. And she led a whole hell of a lot of it out on Becky Lynch and this match. I just love sitting there and watching her work. And you have to know that WWE had a lot of confidence in what Mickey James was still bringing to the table to have her basically be the commander and dictate the pace of this match nearly from start to finish. And she went in there and she showed up and she showed out so good on Mickey James. Now, now that we got all of that praise out of the way. I did have a few questions immediately after the match ended because for so much of it to be rooted in Mickey James getting there and getting in there and dominating Becky Lynch for that story not to be capped off because Becky Lynch ended up winning the match. I was like, man, do I really like this? Like, would I have traded off some of the dominance of Mickey so that the match would have been a little bit more even so that she could win in the end? Because there was a certain point where she was you know, beating the hell out of Becky Lynch so badly that I was like, okay, there's no way that she's going to beat her that bad and then end up pinning her and winning in the end. So I knew at some point that Becky Lynch was going to get the win. And Cass and I talked about this on the preview of Elimination Chamber. We were saying how Mickey needed this win here to solidify who she is in this day in WWE. However, I'm not too mad with Becky getting the win because after I thought about it for a few seconds, I was like, okay, well, this continues this narrative of the character of Becky Lynch that she's this um, resilient and tenacious babyface. And this also adds more fuel to the character of Mickey James because even though she has a lot of um, legitimacy in the things that she's saying, how she's attacking this women's revolution, a lot of what she says is rooted in being delusional talking about how she made Becky Lynch and she's responsible for this and she's responsible for that it's like okay hold on pump your brakes just a little bit like calm that shit down bring it down to like you're you're at a 10 I need you to bring it down to like a two so yeah she has a lot of legit points to bring up when she's attacking this women's revolution but for her to be a heel it has to be rooted in a bit of delusion and I think that with her dominating so much of the match and then Becky Lynch pinning her and winning that gives her some more fuel to this character so now she can talk about how oh she wrestled circles around her and she's much better talent than Becky Lynch and she just won because she got lucky or something like that so the story continues with a good match here at Elimination Chamber and 
yeah, that's pretty much it for me on Becky Lynch versus Mickey James. Next up at Elimination Chamber was Dolph Ziggler versus a team of Apollo Crews and Kalisto in a handicap match. This match was a waste of motherfucking time. I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I don't even know what to make of the action that was happening in the ring because I'm confused as to why this match is happening at all. Like, of course, I watched SmackDown. I saw Danny Bryan book the match on screen, and I know the reason for that, but I'm speaking from the perspective of a person that likes to analyze this fictional universe of WWE and see the motives behind the moves and things like that. And I sit here and I ask the question, what was the end game with Apollo Crews and Kalisto versus Dolph Ziggler. What did you attempt to gain out of this situation? Because you have to imagine that there was some type of, you know, advancement that needed to be made for them to think that this match needed to take place at Elimination Chamber. So I'm sitting here like, what was the best case scenario? Whether you had Dolph Ziggler win or, you know, Cruz and Kalisto win, what was the best case scenario? Where did you want these characters to stand after everything was said and done? And now that I look at it and Apollo Cruz and Kalisto, they won the match. And, okay, they didn't look like any less of weak-ass chumps, punks, straight-up jabronis, to me, so I don't see what they gained here. I, I'm looking at them like, okay, well, yeah, you won, but on one hand, that doesn't do anything for you and push your characters forward, and you know, because you have the unfair advantage in your favor as the faces. And then on the flip side of Dolph Ziggler, he hasn't been built up enough to a point where I would like to see him get his comeuppance, especially in a way like this. So I'm sitting here like, okay, what did we really accomplish here? Yeah, it was nice to see Dolph Ziggler attack Kalisto during his entrance, and it was nice to see Dolph Ziggler attack Apollo Crews after the match, but I'm wondering, where's the development for the character of Dolph Ziggler? Where are the motives? What is it that he is attempting to accomplish? What the hell is this guy doing? Like, it, it looks visually appealing to see a dude get you know, the brakes beat off of him in the ring, but what does that mean for the character of Dolph Ziggler? Because you go from a character previously where Dolph Ziggler was a face and he didn't give a damn whether he won or lost in a match as long as he looked good during the match. And now he's a heel. He doesn't give a damn if he wins or loses a match just as long as he looks good after it. Okay, like how does this bring Dolph Ziggler up the latter. How does this address the issue of the character of Dolph Ziggler, you know, when, when he acknowledged that his career isn't in the place that, you know, it needs to be? That's why he made the turn, right? That's why he went from being a face to a heel so he could, you know, get an edge to him. He can get that killer instinct. But how is that going to translate to him actually getting wins and getting some momentum on his side, pushing him forward, pushing him up the ladder of success on SmackDown? Is his objective to just, hell, injure everybody until he's the only one left and they have no choice but to put him in main events and but to give him championships? Like, th that means something, but I don't understand what it means for you to just go out there and attack people. Because, hell, if you're going for this sadist thing where you get pleasure out of inflicting pain on people, shit, Baron Corbin is already playing that character and he's doing a great job at it. So you may want to look elsewhere, Dolph Ziggler. And, yeah, I guess I'm looking elsewhere for this match because, yeah, it, it, that's gonna be a no for me, dog. Sorry. And here we arrive at our first championship match of the night. This was American Alpha defending their tag titles in a tag team turmoil match. The match started off with the teams of Brizango, aka the Fashion Popo, versus Heath Slater and Rhino. And I gotta give credit where credit is due. I am 
really liking the team of Heath Slater and Rhino. And it's cool to see where they came from to where they stand right now because we know they started out in this joke storyline with Heath Slater being forgotten in the draft and him fighting to get a contract and, you know, all of the hijinks that ensued from then to now. But where they stand right now, I look at them as a solid and legit tag team that are also pretty entertaining. I think that Heath Slater is great at playing that babyface role. There's some intangible quality about him that I really like just sitting back and watching him play that role in a match. And he played that along with Rhino throughout a great portion of this match. He went through the team of, or they went through the teams of um, Brizango, then you had the Vaude Villains, and then they hit that big-ass brick wall known as the Usos, and that's where things, they they, they took a turn, like the match, it, it, the feel of it, it, it felt different. The Usos come out, they eliminate uh, Heath Slater and Rhino, and then American Alpha, the tag champions, they're the second-to-last team, they come out, and they're getting all hype, and the Usos jump out of the ring, and even before they touched each other, I was like, oh, shit, it's really about to go down now, because I was a big fan of all of the stuff that was going on with the Usos heel turn and, you know, with them injuring uh, Chad Gable, taking uh, American Alpha out of the tag team title picture. I was a really big fan of that. And I was kind of like uh, a little disappointed when WWE dropped that off. And I know there was some other stuff happening, like one of the Usos was injured. So they couldn't really carry through with that uh, feud as much as they would have wanted to. But I think that this was a sign of them reigniting that. And that's the catalyst to kick this thing off maybe to an even bigger moment, maybe WrestleMania, who knows? Because, you know, we get um, American Alpha, they end up eliminating the Usos from the match and the Usos beat them down afterwards. And that did a really cool thing in this match. It, you know, it actually it did two things. One, it's um, set up something for the future between American Alpha and the Usos. And it also, you know, created some doubt in our minds as the match continued, because you look at the last team that was set to um, be in the match, the Ascension, and you look at them versus American Alpha on paper, you're like, shit, of course, American Alpha is going to take that one every single goddamn time. But that created some doubt there with the Usos beating down American Alpha. And then when the Ascension, you know, got out there, like, I'm not a fan of the Ascension, not a fan at all of their main roster runs but i think what wwe did here was um they created a platform for them to be you know a bit of the badasses that we knew them to be down in nxt and i'm just hoping that they take this opportunity and run with it now that you've provided a believable platform for some switch to be flipped on for the ascension Take advantage of it. Start booking them more like this on a week-to-week -week basis and creating some intrigue in that tag division that isn't really present right now. But there's a lot to look forward to in the future. Maybe with the Ascension being built up, you know, properly and then American Alpha and the Usos, what's going to happen with that team. Um, the ending of this match where American Alpha, you know, it looks like they were down and out, but uh, Chad Gable, he ends up ducking one of the members of the Ascension. I believe it was Connor. And then he, with no wasted motion at all, he ducks him, jumps into the ring, and uh, Jason Jordan is already setting up Grand Amplitude. They hit it pin. They retain their titles. That was some really good stuff to cap off an overall, you know, pretty entertaining match. Following the tag championship match, Natalia and Nikki Bella created a bit of turmoil of their own in their singles match at Elimination Chamber. There was no definitive winner here as both women ended up being counted out. Now, this was um, this was a solid match. 
up to the point of, it, it was right around where Natalia ended up hitting Nikki Bella and hell, hit herself too with the superplex. That's when it really kicked into high gear and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm digging this, I'm getting into it because it felt like from that point on, that lived up to the heat that was generated with the buildup, or, the, or at least the heat that WWE tried to generate with the buildup of Natalya and Nikki Bella. Because you move from that spot to, I think it was like an Insiguri uh, from Nikki, and then uh, Natalya puts her in the sharpshooter, and Nikki does this great uh, counter from the sharpshooter into an STF of her own, and Nikki... She does a better counter into the STF than John Cena does. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Because John Cena has gotten better at it. But, hell, I'm thinking that maybe he was learning from Nikki. Because I've seen some pretty shitty um, counters into the STF from John Cena. But Nikki, it looks like she got it down pat. Maybe she's got it two down. Because when she locked on the STF, there was a point where Natalia stopped selling. And I was wondering what was going on. And I think that she was like... Nikki was actually like choking her legit. So yeah, man, loosen up a little bit, just a little bit there. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but after that, they, um, they spilled to the outside of the ring and they brawl a bit outside there. And yeah, they ended up being counted out. And from the point of the superplex to the ending of the match where I said it really kicked, you know, into high gear, it, that wasn't too long. And I wish that that intensity that really high level of intensity would have lasted a bit longer, especially for the story that was being told between, or again, I'll say the story that they attempted to tell between those two um, uh, in the buildup of this match. One complaint that I do have though, Natalia, this whole you can't see me thing. It's not that I can't see you, it's that I don't want to see you do this for the 95th goddamn time. Like find another way to get some heat. Please, because she was she was wearing my last nerve out with this. You can't see me. She did it way too many times. But yeah, that's just a little complaint. Overall, solid match that I wish would have matched the intensity of the buildup for a little longer. But when they did do it, it was really good stuff. The next match at Elimination Chamber was Randy Orton versus his former Wyatt family brother, Luke Harper. Going into this show, I wasn't thinking much about this match for a few different reasons. One of them being the fact that Randy Orton is a winner of the Royal Rumble. He's going to be going on to main event WrestleMania, and I just knew that he was going to win this match. There was no doubt in my mind that Randy Orton was going to be victorious here. So I looked at it as nothing more than an exhibition match. Then you take into account the fact that I didn't give much of a damn about all of this stuff that's going on with the Wyatt family and their implosion. And then to top it all off, 30 minutes before Elimination Chamber started, my power went out. And it didn't come back on until 30 minutes into the show. So I was playing catch up all throughout the night. And that's the reason why you guys didn't see me tweeting at all about the show. But uh, yeah, I was watching this match just waiting on them to give me an excuse to push that fast forward button just so I can catch up a little bit. But every time I thought about fast forwarding, there was something about this match that kept me right there to the point where they actually pulled me in and I was 100% invested in this match. And that's something that pulled me in and kept me there to the point where I was actually excited on the edge of my seat watching all the near falls that something was luke friggin harper god 
damn, that guy was so good in this match. And I know Luke Harper to be a solid competitor in the ring. He's not a scrub at all. But there was something about him competing in this match that really surprised me. And I think the thing that surprised me was this role that he was playing because this is a role that is unlike any role we've ever seen from Luke Harper in his time in WWE. He was this scrappy, fledging babyface that was going up against this entity, this this empire of Randy Orton, a person that is a multiple-time world champion, 12-time world champion. He has immediate aspirations to the main event of WrestleMania, and anytime all of that star power and that majesty that is Randy Orton, anytime it looked as if that was going to overwhelm Luke Harper, some way, somehow, he found a way to fight back in the match and tip the balances in his favor. And just look at the battle between those two, them going back and forth in this match, and all of the great stuff that Luke Harper did from an offensive perspective, I sat back and I truly looked at this as a star-making performance for Luke Harper, and I hope that the powers that be in WWE see it that way too, and they decide to do something with this guy following this match, because even though it wasn't his supposed to be his night, even though they may have looked at this as if Luke Harper wasn't going to gain anything from this, I'm hoping that when everything was said and done, and when all of the story and all of the, you know, the, the creative decisions behind the scene, when all of those decisions were made, and then the match was put in the hands of the competitors, I'm hoping that Luke Harper made them see something in him and they decide to do something with that from this point on because this was a great outing for him and as far as I'm concerned this was uh his best match in WWE we've seen some good stuff from him um of course, in those uh, six-man tags with the White family, the matches that they've had with the Shield, uh, the, the wars that they've had with them. And then I, he had some really good stuff in his feud with Dolph Ziggler over the Intercontinental Championship. But this one, for me, this was his best match in WWE. It was just like, man... It, it, that, it was that damn good. And I don't know if anybody else saw it that way because I haven't looked much into um, any of the feedback to uh, Elimination Chamber. But for me, especially in a match that I was looking for a reason to look away from, the fact that you pulled me in and hooked me, Man, that that is not an easy feat, but damn it, you did it. And, you know, it's not like he was in there wrestling a sack of potatoes. So, you know, a little clap to uh, Randy Orton, too, for an overall uh, damn good match and a great outing for Luke Harper. The penultimate match at Elimination Chamber was for SmackDown's Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss defending her title versus the challenger, Naomi, but a challenger no more as my homegirl, she did it. She won the SmackDown Women's Championship. Man, what a satisfying moment that was to sit back as a Naomi fan to see her win this match here and hoist up her very first championship in all of these years that she's been in WWE. And I got to give props to WWE um, for taking a chance on Naomi and also Alexa Bliss because I felt like watching this match they weren't just fighting over the women's championship. They were like fighting to find a place for themselves because I look at the other two women's matches that they had at Elimination Chamber and I could very well have seen Mickey James versus Becky Lynch before the women's championship. I could also have envisioned Natalia versus Nikki Bella for the women's championship because if you look at all of the six female wrestlers that were on 
Elimination Chamber and you look at the accomplishments and the accolades and you rack and stack all of the women, Alexa Bliss and Naomi would be at the bottom of the totem pole. That's not to say that they're not talented or anything like that, but just judge them based off of the big matches that they've had, the title victories and the, you know, title matches and big storylines and all of that stuff. It's without question um, them being at the bottom of the totem pole when you bring in uh, Nikki, Natalia, Becky, and Mickey. So the fact that WWE took a chance on them and gave them this platform, I think that that was uh, really cool. And the fact that they went out there and they showed up and they showed out and they did, you know, they did hold their own at Elimination Chamber. That was really good stuff. And um, Naomi, I just love her baby face little momentum swings that she goes on in her matches. Uh, Alexa Bliss, she did this really cool thing in the match where she was sitting on the top turnbuckle. She jumps down. She does a flip and does some other crazy shit. I don't know how to really describe it, but all I know is that I saw it and I liked it. And she it led into a near fall for uh, Alexa on Naomi. Like I said, I don't know what was happening. I just know that it looked cool. So, you know, kudos uh, to you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this was... a. Good match to me, solid match from uh, both of these competitors here. And man, with Naomi winning the title, I just look back at all of the things that she's done in her career. I was gonna say all of the stuff that she's done that led her into this moment, but to be quite honest, hell, you could X out every single thing that she's done in WWE up to the draft and it'd be fine. Like you're, you're, you're not missing out on that much or I'm not going to say X out everything that little run that she went on before the women's revolution started when she was uh beating the hell out of Paige and you know she she eliminated Paige to give herself um a ch a shot at the Divas Championship that was some damn good stuff I oh my god I just I I hoped that WWE would do something with Naomi cuz I remember seeing her on NXT season three, the old version of NXT. And she started at the very same time that AJ Lee did. And I would look at AJ and say, you know, she's talented. She looks like she, you know, has potential. Um, Naomi, she's talented. She looks like she has potential, maybe even more potential than AJ Lee because AJ was everybody's favorite at that time. And I was like, hmm, this Naomi chick, she has something too. Let's make sure we don't forget about her. But hell, WWE, they did end up forgetting about her because they come out of NXT, these two talented individuals with potential, and they take these completely different career paths. AJ, multiple-time champion, at one point the longest reigning Divas champion in WWE, and Naomi, she gets the fucking Funkadactyls. And finally, when it looks as if her character is you know, starting to catch fire, she gets pushed to the wayside because of the women's revolution. So finally, Naomi gets her time in the spotlight now in the year 2017 and going into WrestleMania, potentially as the women's champion. That promo that she cut a few weeks ago on Talking Smack, it was something about that that just hit me where it's like, I gotta see that. I gotta see Naomi in Orlando as the women's champion. And uh, yeah, speaking of promo, she cut a really nice babyface promo after the match with the crowd chanting, you deserve it, all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, overall, very uh, good match from Alexa Bliss and Naomi and hot damn satisfying ending with Naomi, my homegirl, finally winning a championship in WWE. The main event of Elimination Chamber was the Elimination Chamber match itself, the new and improved Elimination Chamber. I don't know, well, I guess it was 
most definitely new. Was it improved? Let me know your thoughts on the new design of the chamber down in the comment section below. I can say that it most definitely looked more sleek and cooler than the previous design of the Elimination Chamber, but hearing those words, maybe it flies in the face of what the Elimination Chamber should be, menacing, dark, scary as hell. In a matter of speaking, you know, Moro, I'm gonna give you more support than your uh, cohorts at the commentary table usually do. In a matter of speaking, it is hell in a cell. It's just the non-capitalized hell in a cell, but um, yeah, so there you go. Um, but for me, if it lost anything on the menacing side in favor of it looking more sleek and more cool, that was an acceptable trade-off because we got some really good stuff with this chamber this year. And I, I look at this as like a resurgence of the Elimination Chamber with it being on SmackDown and them only having one chamber match. Hopefully it can reclaim some of the past glory that it had. And as far as I'm concerned, this match was a nice step in that direction. I love the um, clash of styles. See what I did there? That we experienced in this match. It started off with some good wrestling stuff with John Cena and AJ Styles, and then you had Dean Ambrose. He was the first person out of the pod. He came out of there like a bat out of hell. And they actually said on the commentary table, uh, one of the uh, one of the guys who were at the commentary uh, table, they said Dean Ambrose was like a kid in a candy store. And that statement has never been more true than it was for Dean Ambrose at Elimination Chamber because he was just bouncing all over the friggin' place. He's like, ooh, I like this over here. Let me try this out. Bam, slam somebody into that shit. Ooh, this Lexine glass that's up here. Bam, slamming AJ Styles' head into that. And, you know, he did the elbow drop off the top of the uh, friggin' pod. And Dean Ambrose was really good in this match. And also, I'll give props to Bray Wyatt and Baron Corbin. When they came out of their pod, all three of those guys just, they, they, they reinvigorated the match. Like, they shot some, some life into it with some really good stuff. And when you look at those personalities and those gimmicks that those three guys have, Ambrose, Wyatt, and Corbin... You're not really surprised by it because they're the type of sadistic, crazy-ass nut jobs that are completely well within their element in a match like Elimination Chamber. Um, speaking of Baron Corbin, when he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Bray Wyatt, I saw something there. And that's why I like the Elimination Chamber because you see these matchups that you don't really see on a week-to-week -week basis in WWE because these are two heels. And you're not going to see... The WWE is not going to book Bray Wyatt versus Baron Corbin in a singles match for us to enjoy that. But we got a chance to see a little sliver of it and, you know, the potential of that matchup. And when... Um, they were battling and, you know, uh, Baron Corbin slams him into one of the pods. He turns around and then uh, Corbin hits him with the big boot. He pushes him up against the... Uh, the, the wall of the uh, chamber, and he's like, I'm not scared of you. I don't fear you. I'm like, yes, that's my dude right there, Baron Corbin. And there was, um, see, he had some other good stuff in the match. There was this really nice spot where I believe it was AJ, um, Dean, and Bray. So Bray, I guess he had, like, AJ's head or his neck. And when AJ was sitting on, you know, he, he was standing on the top turnbuckle, and Dean was in the position to powerbomb, 
uh, Bray Wyatt. So he power bombs him, and at the same time, you know, uh, Bray snatches AJ off the top uh, of the turnbuckle. John Cena, him and uh, AJ battling on the side. They climbed up the freaking uh, cell wall. They're battling. He gets knocked down, was out of the match for a, a, a good amount of time. Um, then he comes in later with the crossbody from the top of the freaking pod. That was cool, but it ended up leading to his demise because he was eliminated from the match and the friggin' Miz. Everybody had a place in this match except for the Miz. And I mean that from like, <laughs> it was so funny sitting back before the Miz came into the match, when the camera would cut to him and you'd have like that, um, You'd have stuff going on in the foreground. People were battling, you know, kicking each other's asses. And the Miz is in the background in his pod like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on here? How did I end up here with these freaking savages? Like, get me back to my trailer on a movie set where anytime shit gets a little too hot, we can yell cut and the director can, you know, tell us to go on about our way. I can go back to the safety of my trailer. So, yeah, that was some fun stuff with the Miz, even before he got into the freaking match, just seeing the look on his face is like, my God, these are some wild animals in here. But when he finally gets into the match, Baron Corbin, he's distracted. He's laser focused on the Miz. And then Dean Ambrose ends up getting Baron Corbin eliminated from the match by a roll up. And one of the big highlights of the match for me was what Baron Corbin did to Dean Ambrose, after he got eliminated, he beat the brakes off that dude. The Miz comes in and he cleans up. He pins Dean Ambrose. He's eliminated. Uh, the Miz is eliminated um, after, you know, taunting Daniel Bryan once again. Um, then the final three, AJ, Cena, and uh, of course, Bray Wyatt. So I talked about uh, Cena's elimination. Um, Bray looked like a complete badass in this match and if he ultimately was to win the wwe championship i'm glad that it happened in a match like this because there was something about bray wyatt that felt big time in this match seeing him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with john cena he was the one who actually eliminated him from the match and then that singles match which basically is what it was between him and aj that was some really good stuff again a pairing that you're not going to see on a week-to-week -week basis and aj kind of played the role of the uh face there which was a nice uh change of pace for aj but yeah bray wyatt looked like a badass he looked big time in this match and if he was to win a championship you would want it to happen in a match where they could fully capitalize off of what Bray Wyatt does bring to the table. And I think that they did that in this match. As far as what it means for him going forward, him actually being champion, I would love it if we WWE existed in a fictional universe where we could get a Mil Muertes type character for Bray Wyatt to where the Wyatt family just completely takes over WWE and this darkness creep or SmackDown and this darkness creeps over the show because Bray Wyatt is the new king. And as much as I like Mil Muertes, it pissed me off seeing him knowing that this is what Bray Wyatt could be. I was like, Man, like, my God, I like this 
but you just replace some of these parts and put, you know, put this in WWE and Bray Wyatt up there. My God, what it would be so wonderful. It does intrigue me with Bray Wyatt uh, being the WWE champion and whatever is going to happen between him and Randy Orton, because now it looks as if that's going to be the WWE championship match for, for WrestleMania. But Daniel Bryan called this out within the first few seconds of talking smack after the show. We got seven weeks until WrestleMania, so anything can happen. Um, they got to do some stuff to sell me on Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. But I look forward to seeing what it is that they're going to do um, with that potential matchup for WrestleMania and with Bray Wyatt being the WWE champion. That is it for me for Elimination Chamber. Overall, very entertaining show. What I expected to deliver definitely did deliver. And I got a surprise in um, Randy Orton versus uh, Luke Harper. So all in all, a good night. Well, a good a good show because I, I, a good night. There was a whole lot of fuckery going on. I'm actually, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and end this video right here. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Give this video a thumb, whichever thumb you think it deserves, up or down. And leave a comment below letting me know what you thought about Elimination Chamber. What was your favorite match? Um, uh, favorite moment? Uh, all of that good stuff. Uh, worst match? Uh, wh what could you have done without an Elimination Chamber? All of that stuff. So uh, until next time, catch you later. Peace.